0: and song. <clears throat> Bow with me this morning. Father, as we turn to your word in a time of study, at a time of God desiring to hear what it is you would say to us, I pray that we would focus on your word this morning. I pray we'd not be concerned about what's taking place after the worship service. Uh, We wouldn't be distracted by what has taken place before this time, but we would be right here. We would be, uh, God, with you in the moment, desiring to hear from you. I pray distractions be kept down. I pray you'd open our hearts and minds. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are modal so that we might comprehend. In Christ's name, amen. Now, folks, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Have you ever faced a situation in life where you felt like you were boxed in, there was no way out? Maybe you're coming to the end of the month, but you've already came to the end of your money, and you know uh, the rents do, uh, electric bills do, car payments do, and it appears as if there's no way out. Maybe you've applied for several different jobs, three or four different jobs. You've been turned down uh, for all of them. So not only does it appear there's no way out, but it appears like there's there's no way in. Maybe you're here today, you feel hopelessly hooked on things, maybe maybe on drugs or alcohol or gambling or pornography or bitterness or whatever it may be, and you find yourself in what we call a predicament. Now it's amazing, folks, all the ways we use to describe those type situations in life, all the phrases we use. For instance, we'll say things like uh, up a creek without a paddle, uh, in a jam, in a pickle, uh, between a rock and a hard place. Hey, is this not Oklahoma? Y'all are looking at me like you ain't never heard them before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We use all these different phrases to describe those type of situations. And really what you're in is what's called a catch-22. Now, a catch-22, that's a situation presenting two or more equally undesirable alternatives. Now, it appears when you're in one of those situations, it appears as if no matter what you do, which path you take, folks, which decision you make, you're doomed. In a word, again, it is a predicament. It can be related to your job, your marriage, your family, uh, your kids, maybe something you're dealing with in your personal life, but you're in a tight spot and you don't see any way out. Let me give you the best definition. I got this off another preacher. Best definition of a predicament. It says a predicament occurs when an attorney specializes in suing doctors for medical malpractice and then finds himself in need of major surgery. I think, yeah, that's a predicament. Now, folks, we've been in a series. I know I've been gone a couple of weeks, but started a series a couple weeks before that. And I hope that this series has helped you. I, I know it's helped me studying for it in a series that we called Out of Options. Now you go through life and at times you're going to find yourself uh, sometimes in these type of situations. Sometimes you put yourself in them. Other times it's not your fault. You're just in a situation where it appeals, appears like you're totally out of options. Now the one great truth, actually simple but great truth, we've learned in these messages is this, with God... You're never out of options. There's always an option. Now today, we're going to look at the greatest catch-22 perhaps anyone has ever faced in history. It's the most uh, involved predicament, I guess you could say, the nation of Israel would ever see. Yet they lived through it, and they lived to tell the story, and the Jewish people, they tell the story even to today. It became, folks, one of the most celebrated events in all of Jewish history. And two words fill you in and all you need to know. And those words are the Exodus. So guess where I'm going? Is it already on the board? Yeah, Exodus 14. Exodus 14. We're going to pick the story up there. How many of you know the story of the Exodus? Raise your hand. Yeah, I thought so. Most of you have been in a Baptist church quite a while. You've heard this story before. We're going to pick up the story. Exodus chapter 14. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pi-Hahirath between Migdal and the sea over against baal Zephon. Before it ye shall encamp by the sea. Now here's the problem, folks. baal Zephon, geographically speaking, was a cul-de-sac. It was a a dead-end street, so to speak. So here's what the Israelites faced. They had left Egypt, okay, and now they're facing the Red Sea. You'll say, well, that don't sound too bad. Well, let me tell you what else they're facing in case you forgot this story. This is what's going to the north of the Israelites. There's a huge uh, Egyptian fortress made of solid rock. No way it can be attacked. Now, to the south is the Negev, the south land. It's the Egyptian desert. Out in the desert, there's no shelter. There's no food, no water. Uh, And then you got to the west Because they have left Egypt, and because Pharaoh's heart is hardened, now Pharaoh is riding down on them with 600 chariots and his elite forces, and he intends to wipe them out. That's to the west. And to the east, there's the Red Sea. So there they are, folks. It was the catch-22 of catch-22s. If you go in any direction, you're going to die. If you stay where you are, you're going to die. The Israelites, they were all dressed up, stressed out, but nowhere to go. Now, normally, I wouldn't spoil the ending for you by telling you what happens, but as I have seen a few moments ago, most everybody knows the story, and in case you're here and you don't know the story, let me give you a real condensed version of what takes place here in chapter 14. God, he parts the Red Sea for the children of Israel. They walk across on dry land. Pharaoh and his army follows the children of Israel into the sea which God has piled up on either side, And once they get into the sea, God removes his hand, the waters come back down, and it drowns the Egyptian army, and God saves the day. That's the story in a nutshell. Now, let me make this real clear. A lot of people want to argue, does that story, did it really happen? I'm going to tell you something, folks. I believe, and I'm going to make it real clear, I believe with all my heart that that story happened just like that, just like God's Word says, exactly like that. Because I'm going to tell you something. I've heard all the various theories That they used to try to to water this story down. Pardon the pun. There was one scholar. An educated man. Educated beyond his intelligence. But he was an educated man. And he had a friend of his. Who was a devout Christian. But his friend was not highly educated. And he told his friend. He said you know. I want to straighten you out on the Red Sea business. He said the Red Sea really. It was only six inches deep. It was not a sea at all. His friend said are you kidding me. He said, no, that's, that's the truth. His friend said, man, that is the greatest thing I've heard. And his friend thought, this scholar thought there was going to be an argument. But his friend said, man, I, I like that. He said, really, you don't have a problem? He said, oh, no. He said, man, that's, that's, that's an unbelievable thing. I love that. He said, who would have guessed that God could have drowned all those men, all those horses, all those chariots in six inches of water? What a miracle that must have been. Now, I believe, folks, we've saved the best in this series for last today. And what I want you to do is remember when you feel like you're out of options, when you're in one of these catch-22s where either direction you go, it's equally bad, I want you to remember this. What we do, we need to remember that, that when those times come, what we do is we do what's possible, and then we watch God do what is impossible. Okay? God never expects us to do what only He can do, but He does expect us to do what we can do and then trust Him for what only He can do. So here they are. I got three points. It'll be a short message this morning. Y'all ain't heard that in a while, have you? Uh, got three points, folks. If you find yourself in Catch 22, here's what you do. Number one, go where God leads you to go. Now, keep in mind where the, the, the Israelites are in their history at this point in time, okay? They had been living in Egypt for 430 years. All the Israelites that God is about to deliver through Moses, they had been raised to know nothing else but slavery. That's all they had known. They had long ago forgotten God. So let me make this real clear to you, folks. They had had forgotten God. They were not Israelites yet. They were still Egyptian to the core. They ignored God. And now they needed to learn, get to a place where they could learn to adore God and depend totally on God. So we need to see, we need to go back and see exactly how they got to where they are in the wilderness. So look back at chapter 13, verse 18. It says, but God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up, harnessed, that is, ready for battle out of the land of Egypt. Or prepared for battle out of the land of Egypt. Now, I want you to look at the statement that's made there. Again, verse 18. God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Did you catch that? They are where they are. Not because they made a mistake. All right? Not because, folks, they made a miscalculation. I mean, they didn't take a wrong turn at Albuquerque or something. All right? Now, they had GPS back then. It was God's positioning system. They are in the middle of the wilderness Facing the Red Sea, Pharaoh coming up behind them. To the south, they have the desert. To the north, they have insurmountable obstacles. But they're where they're at because God had purposely led them to this dead end in the wilderness. Now, why did God do that to them? Or better yet, let me ask you this. Why does God do that to us sometimes? Folks, it's very simple. God will lead us to a dead end, so it will force us to trust him and follow him a way out. Now this is something you need to get from your head down into your heart. There's a school that God enrolls you in the moment that you're saved and you never graduate from it. It's called the school of faith, okay? And faith, folks, faith is not a talent that you're born with. No, no, listen to me. Faith is a lesson you learn and God is the instructor. God is the professor and friend, you never quit learning to trust him throughout your entire lifetime. Now, the bad news was God had led them to where they are with the Red Sea. But here's the good news. Chapter 14, look at verse 21. It says, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Now, understand, God never leads us where he does not go before us. So let me make this clear. If you follow God, he goes with you. If you don't follow God, you're on your own. Okay, you're traveling on your own. Now, if you're going to see it, and I hope your eyes are open in just a minute, you're going to understand there are times, folks, that God will lead you. He'll lead me. He'll take us to a place of despair, to a place of desperation, and we will stay in that place until we choose to make that place of despair and desperation a place of complete dependence upon him now did you catch that sometimes God will take us to those places and we'll be there until we choose to make it a place where we are totally dependent upon him now every day from the time your feet hit the floor you ought to sign a declaration of dependence upon God You've got to depend upon God, not only to lead you wherever it is he wants to lead you, but also to make a way out once you get there. Now, listen to me, friend. You cannot cross the Red Sea until you come to the shoreline of the Red Sea. And you'll never experience the greatness of God, the power of God, the love and the glory of God until you allow God to put you in a place where only he can make a way out. Now, I want you to understand, God can resolve any catch-22 that you're in. That's why, friend, the the greatest way to know God and really the only way to experience God is to follow God wherever he leads you, wherever that may be. That's number one. Second thing you need to do, you find yourself in one of these situations, is do not only go where God leads you, but do what God tells you. You know, I deal with so many people at times. They'll come in, preacher, I got a problem. Terrible problem. What's the problem? They tell me what the problem is. What should I do, preacher? Well, God's word says this. Well, I don't know if I want to do that or not. Well, then you're stuck with a problem. Let me say it again. When you're in one of those situations where you don't see any options, there's no no way any direction, you be faithful. You go where God leads you and you do what God tells you to do. It's plain and simple, folks. Now, This is the climactic scene of the story. I mean the Israelites. I'm sure they can hear the hooves of the horses thundering behind them. They can see the sun gleaming and glinting off of the spears and off of the swords. I bet they can feel the heat from Pharaoh's eyes. And the anger in his heart as he looks at them. And it looks like they're literally in the last moments of life. And no way out. So let me ask you something. If you were Moses, how would you respond to this? I mean, it, they, they seem to be trapped. Nowhere to go. They're looking to Moses. He's the leader. How would you respond to it? Let me tell you, if we're honest, you know how most of us respond to it? We'd yell, run! Run! Or oh, we'd be like those old cowboy, black and white cowboy shows when the Indians got the cavalry surrounded. What do they do? Somebody got a white flag. Raise a white flag. We'll surrender. Maybe that's it. Or some of us, We might even do this. We look up to heaven and say, God, this is another mess that you've got me into. Why don't you look at verse 13? That's not how Moses responds. Notice what Moses says in verse 13. It's simple. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. In other words, Moses is calm, he's cool, and collected. He says, Nah, don't be scared. Fear not. Now get the picture. They seem to be trapped. Pharaoh and his elite forces are riding down on them. Again, they could hear the horses. They could see the sun glinting off the chariots and the swords and all those weapons of warfare. I can just imagine what people are saying. Fear not. Fear not. Somebody says, Moses, we're about to be annihilated. We're going to be destroyed, wiped from the face of the earth. And the best you got, the best you can come up with is fear not. Moses isn't through look at verse 13 again. He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, at first when he says fear not, that kind of uh, reminds me of some sappy psycho babble sentiment, you know. Be confident, be happy, you know, be be still, be quiet, be calm, uh, you know, don't worry, be happy, everything's going to be all right. Well, that's not what Moses is saying. What Moses is simply telling the people is, be quiet and have a little faith in Almighty God. Watch what God can do. And notice, he says, what's the salvation that God's going to bring? In other words, he's saying, don't fear not because I'm telling you not to fear. I'm telling you fear not because we have a great and an awesome God. Stand still and watch what only he can do. Because, let me ask this, Moses, why do you think it is he gave that kind of advice in the heat of the moment? You know, when the end seems to be near. It's simple, folks, because in those moments when we face them, you cannot panic. Because panic doesn't do any good whatsoever. Instead of panicking, Moses said, hey, folks, we've got a great God. Listen to the voice of God. He'll speak to you. i am telling you, those times God will talk to you, he'll show you. What needs to be done. But listen to me now. Once you have done all that God has told you to do. Then you must simply trust and wait to see what God is going to do. Now I'm sure those Israelites. They're like many of us get at times. They're very impatient. They were wanting God. You know God needs to hurry. The chariot's getting closer. God you need to hurry up. They were waiting on God to act. You know, they were wanting God to do something, but they were wanting God to do it on their time frame. You know, what they had to realize and what all of us need to realize at times is God doesn't wear a wristwatch. Time is not important to God. It means nothing to God. Now, timing, folks, is everything to God, but time is not important. And God, let me say this, God's never going to part the red seas of your life until first you go Where he tells you to go. And secondly you do what he tells you to do. Then God will in his perfect timing act. And that leads me to the third thing. When you're in one of those catch 22's. And you're being obedient. You've gone where God has sent you. You're doing what God has told you to do. But the third thing. Believe what God says he will do. Now let's set up the final scene here. Okay, God and basically God has arranged all this. According to his plan. And now God sets the hook. If you will. Pardon that expression. Sets the hook on Pharaoh. And God's got him. Look at verse 4. Back at verse 4. Chapter 14. God says. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. That he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh. And upon all his hosts. That the Egyptians may know. That I am the Lord. And they did so. In other words, God says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. His heart's already hardened to me. I'm going to give him over to that hard heart. All because I'm going to get the glory through this whole event. God says, it's all about me. Now, God wasn't going to make it easy for the Israelites to escape, folks. And one of the reasons he wasn't is because they would think they'd done it on their own. And you know what? They would do what we do so many times. They would take the glory to themselves. They'd break their arm, patting themselves on the back. And once again, God would be left out in the cold. Now remember something. God always has a plan. And you've heard me say this. And God's plan is always the best plan. And it's always for our good and for his glory. Now I want you to look at verse 9 of chapter 14. And the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pi-Hahirath before uh, baal Zephon. Now understand, if you read this story, Pharaoh had 600 chariots. They were his finest charioteers. These guys were like army rangers, Delta force, you know, the Navy SEALs. They were Pharaoh's special forces. He had his best because he wanted Israel to experience his worst. And you know what? Pharaoh thought, I got them just exactly where I want them. They got nowhere to go. I'm coming down behind them. The sea's in front of them. They can't go to the desert. They can't go against the fortresses. So I got them. Pharaoh said, I got them right where I want them. Oh, no, Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't understand God had them right where he wanted them. Because God tells Moses... Simply, he says, face the sea and forward march. Now, folks, this is an amazing thing. Do you realize in history no nation had ever done this? This is the first time an entire nation had simply marched out from under the bondage of another nation without firing a shot, without wielding a spear, without drawing a sword. Now, I want you to think about this. Moses had certainly never led an exodus before. Now, Moses was very intelligent, no doubt. Because he attended the schools in Egypt, which were the best schools in the world at that time. No doubt Moses was a, a, an educated man, very intelligent. Very intelligent. But the schools, they didn't give degrees in exodusology. This was all new to Moses. You know what? There wasn't a, a binder. that had step-by-step instructions for him to follow. There was no place he could you know, order a book off Amazon or whatever, uh, Exoduses for Dummies. I mean, there wasn't no internet that he could go to and pull up how to do an exodus. I mean, there was nothing now for him to do except simply do what God had told him to do and believe that God was going to do what God said he would do. Now, you probably know the story. Moses lifts his rod over the sea. God parts the Red Sea. There's a gigantic wall of water on either side. And depending on which historian you read, anywhere from two to four million Israelite people walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. And the Egyptian army follows after them like lambs heading to the slaughter. And what happens? God removes his divine hand and the dam breaks. The wall of water covers the Egyptian army and they're drowned. And I'm sure that the Israelites, they probably broke out in a song. You know, something like, uh, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. They've saved a wretch like me. Uh, I once was bound down in Egypt, but God has set me free. And now, praise God, Pharaoh and all his army, they've drowned in the deep, dark depths of the blue sea. Actually, they did sing a song. If you want to study it in Exodus chapter 15, it's the first song in the Bible. It's the song of Moses. And it's a song of praise to God for his deliverance, for his redemption. But you know what, folks, that's not nowhere near the end of the story. Because the greatest thing, when you think about this story, the greatest thing that happened was not the Red Sea parting. It was not the Red Sea closing. Here's why it's one of the greatest stories in all the Bible. And why it's still celebrated by the Jewish people. And I believe ought to be celebrated by us followers of Christ as well. The greatest thing about this story is God kept every promise that he made. God kept his word. The Egyptians were wiped out just like God said they would be. God said He would be glorified and the Egyptians would know that He is Lord. I want you to look at verse 25 of chapter 14. Listen to what these Egyptians said, their last words just before they died. The second part of verse 25. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord, the Lord, they're calling Him by name, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Now folks, for the first time, These pagan Egyptians acknowledged the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, and they even called him by name. But more than that, for the first time, the nation of Israel had come back to their God. They had come back to God. Now look at verses 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And 400 folk, 430 years, they forgot God, but now they've come back to believe in God. Now, let me ask a question what did they learn from this experience? Uh, what do we learn from this experience? It's simple. If we're in a catch 22, we're in a situation that's out of our control. Remember, it's still firmly in God's control. There's nothing out of his control. When there's no other place to look, friend, you can look up. Now think about this. Not a single Egyptian lived through this predicament. But not one single Hebrew even got a scratch through the whole thing. The Hebrews walked along the seashore. They saw it littered with the dead corpses, the bodies of the Egyptian soldiers. Yet they had not killed a single man. They had not fired one arrow shot. They hadn't engaged in one battle. They hadn't used one spear or one sword. They, they simply did what they were told. They followed God wherever he led them. And they did what God told them. And they believed that God was going to do what he said he would do. But that's still not the end of the story. Now think about this. Moses has got the task of leading anywhere from 2 to 4 million people through the wilderness. Let me give you some numbers that Bible historians have come up with. They said to lead this many people would take 15,000 tons of food per day. Per day. You know how much that is? It would be like two boxcar, two train, freight trains, each loaded down from front to end a mile long. 15,000 tons of food. It would take 4,000 tons of firewood every day. It would take 11 million gallons of water a day. And this is going to have to happen for 40 years. And just think about the the miracle of just simply crossing the Red Sea in one night. Do you realize all those people, if they would have walked double file line, it would have been hundreds of miles long. And it would have taken them anywhere from one to two months, walking every day and every night to walk through the Red Sea. And to walk through it, folks, in one night... As they did, you say, how do you know? Because God's word says so. To walk through it in one night means they had to line up about 5,000 or more abreast. And they walked in a three-mile swath through the sea. Think about this. Every time they camped, they would need a campground that was two-thirds the size of Rhode Island. 750 square miles. You say, why is that all important? Well, the reason that I point this out to you is let me ask you this. Do you think Moses had it all figured out before they left? (laughs) Absolutely not. I mean, what in the world was he doing? Friend, it was simple. He was going where God led him. He was doing what God told him and he was trusting what God had said to him. But again, (laughs) that's still not the end of the story. I'll end it right here, folks. What the exodus is in the Old Testament, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is in the New Testament. Now, let me explain this to you. The exodus is a picture of what Christ has done for us. You see, we faced the Red Sea called sin. And death was coming up behind us and closing in on us quick. But because Christ held a cross over the Red Sea, a cross that he himself died on, He split that sea, and because he resurrected from the grave, we can follow him, and he'll lead us through that parted sea into the promised land, and we live forever and ever with him. Just remember something, when you're at that dead end, when you think you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, you know, you're in that catch-22, and you think out of options, remember, friend, with God, there's always an option, always an option. And remember this, God's option, even though we may not understand it, even though we may think it's impossible at the time, I promise you God's option always works. Always works. No matter the predicament, friend, remember those three things. Go where God leads you. Do what God tells you. And believe what God says to you. Would you bow your heads, please? Just a minute, brother. I'll lead us in Him's invitation. Maybe you hear this morning, you say, Preacher, I am I am in one of those predicaments that you've talked about. I'm one of those catch-22s. Well, friend, you're not out of options. God's still God. And he's still firmly in control of what happens. And you need to do these three things that I mentioned. You say, Well, how do I do that? Well, number one, you've got to have a relationship with him. And that begins. By surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You're going to have that relationship with God. You need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That's first. Now, if you have done that, and you find yourself in that predicament, then, friend, either, either God has put you there so you will lean completely on him and be dependent upon him, or you put yourself there. And the way you get out is to be obedient to God. Be obedient to him. I encourage you to do that this morning. You know you're a Christian. You know you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're a child of God. But your life is not where it needs to be. Well, this morning you need to rededicate your life to Christ. You need to say, Jesus, give me back the joy of your salvation. Put that back in my heart and life. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you need to step out and come down here. I'll introduce you to him. It'd be my great joy to do so. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Then be obedient. If God's leading you here, be obedient. You say, well, I don't know if God's leading me here. Well, you don't need to join this church unless God leads you. Whatever decision God is leading you to make, you need to make this morning. You need to make it. Now's the time. Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the encouragement that it is. I pray for those today who needed this encouragement. I pray for those today who perhaps they don't know you. That today would be the day when they surrender their life. Totally and completely to you. In Christ's name, amen. You Stand, please.